Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. So much attention in business news is tech, and I don't just mean big tech. The word innovation is thrown around a lot when really what we're talking about are gadgets, not ideas. But innovation in business is often about what you do, not what you use. Processes, procedures, protocols, and work culture, these can all be major innovations in a successful business model, and none of them require a degree in computer science or a garage in Palo Alto to develop. Entrepreneurs have been making money trying to optimize other businesses long before there were CRMs, and it's a big part of helping helping companies grow and become more profitable. My guest, Jeff Ressweber, and his company, An Extraordinary Mind, do just that. Jeff helps companies big and small reinvent their processes, the under-the-hood wiring that can get tangled and gunky and slow-growing companies down. Jeff and his team embed with their clients, figuring out ways to make the less glamorous parts of their business run smoothly so the engine can hum. An Extraordinary Mind has worked with companies in a dizzying array of industries, finance, IT, education, and energy. That's why they call him an instant expert. Jeff Ressweber, thanks for coming on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Christian. Uh, Running a good company isn't just about making it more efficient. If you want to run a good company, do what you do well, but also do some good. An important place to start is protecting your people. And for almost three decades, my guest, Ray Flores' company, Industrial Safety Solutions, has helped companies make their workers and their work safer. But, again, not by developing new gadgets, but by using the principles of behavioral psychology. ISS helps companies create cultures of safety in their workforces, primarily serving the oil and gas industries. In 2020, ISS spun up a new division that helps companies roll out safety plans to address the threat of COVID. And the new line built on years of hurricane recovery work and has become an important revenue line as the energy industry in Louisiana continues to decline. Uh, Ray is passionate about community outreach and is recently connected with the nonprofit Love of People as a vehicle to help him repair an old church that he credits with a piece of divine providence in his career. Ray Flores, welcome to Out to Lunch. Good morning, Christian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Jeff, when, when people hear efficiency, efficiency, right, in this work, they might think hatchet man. It's the idea that someone who's going to come inside the business and cut all the fat. But, you know, whatever your methods, you're going to have to get people to accept change, right, whenever you come in and try to help them become more efficient. So how do you get you know, the company to buy in? I mean, how do you do this without, you know, people first saying like, oh, I don't, I don't really think this is such a good idea. Well, starting at the, the ground level of all the employees, the ones that have to affect the change that I'm going to go to put in, I want to reassure them that the idea is to make them more efficient so that they can grow. Mm-hmm. I have yet to recommend a company get rid of people or cut people. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I know I kind of use the the, the, yeah. the the inflammatory term of the spark because I think a lot of people hear like business consultant and that's like their first thought. It's like, you know, and, and is is... What is it that you really do when you kind of get into the works with them? Like when you're when you're helping them improve what they do. I mean, I understand that it's not just about saying like, hey, try out this new tech solution or throw out this new platform. Like, What are you all doing with them? So I sit down and, and watch them work and figure out from how they work, how they integrate into the company and with the other employees within the company and, and the changes that they can make and be a better team. Mm-hmm. And when you build a better team and everybody works together, you end up with a more efficient company. 
I mean, do, do you guys end up applying any sort of you know tech solutions? I mean, is how, how does that actually? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get a better sense sure. of even what happens so, in the back of the house. So some yeah, sometimes it's uh, going in and and changing systems out and maybe looking at new software, new technology. But I've also stripped technology out of companies because it wasn't a good solution hmm. and have taken them back to paper and carbon farms with triplicates because it made the most sense for the way they work and the way they process. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, uh, easier to get back to basics, you know, and, and just say like, hey, you know, what's wrong with a piece of pen- a pencil and a piece of paper? Yeah. Ray, when I hear a brand like Industrial Safety Solutions, I can't say that social science is really the first thing that comes to mind. So I, I got to ask you, how does behavioral psychology apply to what you all do? You know, <laughs> Jeff and I were having a chat before uh, the interview and uh, just trying to discover some overlap and underlying things that we do that would complement each other. Yeah. And I think at the core of what Jeff is doing and what I do in the world of safety, uh, that we understand regulatory, in my end, regulatory compliance, you know, everything the government wants you to do. Uh, when you think safety, that's what you think about. But at the core of what we do, it's actually opening up channels of communication. Hmm. And uh, so for in our, in our world, what we've learned, you know, this goes back to the 90s, is cultural identification. Hmm. And then being able to kind of speed read people so that when we go into a situation, we can effectively know who we're talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one of, the, one of the companies we do business with uses a program called Equilibria. And uh, it's a personality color profile program that allows... Uh, us to put a sticker on someone's hard hat with the primary top color and the primary lower color. And so our guys understand how all these colors combine. So when I walk up to say, introduce myself to you, Christian, I can tell whether you're red or, a t- or yellow, you're social or you're more direct. Mm-hmm. And so we understand now how to open up these cultures and how to uh, you know, assess people and open up communication and have productive conversation, meaningful, productive conversation. And we set that foundation and then everything else builds on top of that. And I happen to use a a similar program and approach. Uh, It's not a color profile, but it's the Gallup Strengths, uh, uh, 34 Strengths. And having that level of communication and, more importantly, knowing how someone else wants to receive feedback so that we can help them grow, understand, implement culture change, if we can't do that, it doesn't matter how good we are at safety, at compliance, at making efficiencies. You've got to get through to that person in a way that they'll take the feedback and apply it. Exactly. So this feels like kind of a silly question, but I mean, like when you, Ray, I mean, you walk in the room, you're saying like, you talk to me for two minutes, I explain how the show works. Right. You're like, this guy's a red. I mean, do you know what color I am already? I would say you're definitely a yellow. What does that mean? Uh, that you're socially inclined, that you enjoy talking to people and having people around. You're probably the life of the party. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy talking to people. I don't know if it, whether I'm the life of the party would be something that I think my wife would maybe debate. I mean, so how does that work in the Gallup? framework that you're discussing Jeff. I mean I'd like to hear a little bit more about that sure in the the Gallup framework there's a, a ranking of 34 strengths and it's everyday common words for for instance my top five are analytical ideation strategic deliberative and learner hmm. um, so it it's a an approach to use those everyday words that that mean something uh, and go beyond not what you're good at not a skill set but how you think, how you react to different feedback, um, how do you operate at your best, how do you operate at your worst, and what's a good way to get people to switch or to be able to tell them, 
you know, you've got a lot of good strengths, but you're using them kind of in the basement. Hmm. And we need to switch that around and let's use them to the best of their ability where they're productive instead of counterproductive. I'll, I'll give you an example. So deliberative is one of my great strengths. I'm very methodical. I think about all the possibilities of what could go wrong, how it could go wrong, and how to mitigate those. But if I don't actually start the journey, I'll never start because I can spend all of my time deliberating about what can go wrong. And when is that traffic light going to turn green for me to start? I kind of want them to all be green before I pull out the driveway. And obviously, you got to start the journey. So, so is the idea here, but it sounds like, you know, in terms of applying these, you know, frameworks, theories to how we work with people, um, you know, the, what it comes down to maybe is we're, we're trying to look at in, intrinsic qualities in a person and, and trying to figure out, okay, well, everybody's got a certain value and something to bring to the table. I mean, is that really the logic behind this? That, that there's there's a, an advantage to being a red, a yellow, or what are the other colors, you know, to... to I'm not saying in a hierarchical kind of sense, but like, you know, hey, reds and greens all have something to bring to the table, I guess is my question. Yeah, and you know, just from listening to the conversation, I would, I would say to Jeff, he's probably red, more direct. Let's get it done, mm-hmm. uh, move, through the, move through the issues, and then get to the, to the uh, end in mind. Yeah. We gotta have those guys, right? If you're me, I'm, I'm kind of green, bluish, so I'm yeah. a little more analytical. I like yeah. to think about it, methodically put things in place to make yeah. sure that we're gonna be okay, and everybody's gonna be okay, because yeah. I'm also yellow. Uh, <laughs> So um, what happens is uh, if, we, if we're all like me, we, we talk, but we don't necessarily get things done expeditiously. Mm-hmm. If we're all like him, we get her done, and then we look back for the results, like mm-hmm. what, what collateral damage happened along the way or what successes did we have along the way. But if you understand that we both have these distinct elements within our personalities, well, then we can complement each other. Mm-hmm. Like I can say, whoa, hold on a second. I know, you know, my, my yellow's coming out or my green's coming out, but I just want to make sure we think this out clearly. And he has to forgive me for that. The same way I have to kind of forgive him for being. So the programs that he uses and we use are very similar. But I think the theme is industries and, and, and oil and gas industries, for example, have been using these, these systems for a long time. And the processes can be very, very sophisticated. Hmm. So you don't really see it. I mean, our industry gets bad rap all the time. But I think if people really understood the care and uh, the design that goes into managing systems and processes just to get people to communicate and safety, um, it's kind of mind-blowing. Because we haven't even talked about how the behavioral sciences fit on top of that foundation of now we know who you are. Why did you behave that way? Let's, let's talk about that. I mean, how do, we, okay. how do we get to that layer? I'm interested to know what, what, what that looks like. Well, once you get the communication lines open, now I can start talking to you about, like, uh, you know, let's just say, for example, in a real simplistic, uh, you know, we, we have to take the boxes from behind the bar and move them next to the front door. Mm-hmm. If you and I were just going to watch three of these people randomly pick up a box and carry them, how many would use proper lifting techniques, mm-hmm. right? Well, we'd have to count so we, uh, we do 10 observations and we find that seven people use proper lifting techniques, three didn't. Mm-hmm. So 70% of the time we're using proper lifting techniques and then we go to, well, why is that? Well, guess what? The last three people that didn't use proper lifting techniques didn't go through that lifting technique training. Hmm. So now we know training is an issue. So how do we create, then we have to go back through the behavioral observations and feedback and create, we can tell you where your next most likely accident is going to be. Hmm. So whether it's personal protective equipment, maybe in, in the world of decontamination, wearing masks, applying um, 
uh, uh, decontamination products. Mm -hmm. uh, we can observe all those and measure them. And if you can observe them and you can measure them, then you can start managing them statistically to tell you exactly, we know exactly how we're performing in this area. Hmm. And that's what we've been doing for a long time. And then on top of that comes the, the, the human performance element, which is we understand the behavior, but why are you doing it? And was it bad that you did that? Mm -hmm. And so it's the sciences and the psychology of all these things with the underlying foundation of the art of communicating effectively, mm -hmm. that's the blend. Have you also found that it, uh, it helps you figure out how to teach and train an individual that's maybe not being as compliant or following protocols that you'd like so that now we can reach to them and make it meaningful to them knowing how they operate, how they think? Yeah, I mean, it works. As I say, everybody has a plan when they go to fight Mike Tyson, and then he punches him in the, in the face, and the <laughs> plan goes out of the window. Yeah. So it's really nice and warm that we have these ideas and these philosophies. But, you know, when you're someone, you know, say, you know, nine feet tall, mm -hmm. it's 110 degrees, you're on your 11th hour of the job, and somebody like me comes along and goes like, hey, can I talk to you about your hard hat or your safety glasses? Mm -hmm. You get punched in the face, you know, you have to deal with that. So the, the elements of knowing I'm, I'm going to talk to a red or, or I'm going to talk to one of the elements within his system uh, allows you to make that approach and have that conversation in a way that you know is going to be most effective. That, that, that makes sense, what I just said? Absolutely. I, one thing that just pops in my head, right, is especially in the, the oil and gas industry where, you know, you, I think any sort of, um, you know, extractive industry, I suppose, but where you might would have, right, more automation, you'd have people working alongside, you know, I guess robots, right? I mean, does that change the dynamics? Do we have to train people? I mean, I, I suppose you can't put a red dot on a robot, but I mean, like, you know, I guess the question is, is more at, like, how has the actual work environment changed uh, or, or forced an adaptation into sort of the behavioral psychology component of that? Um, first, let's back up one step and go to the engineering of the robot, okay? sure. yeah. or, or the mechanical device or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So engineers have to go back and say, well, did we, did we put a guard on it? Mm. Uh, did we put a device, an automatic shutoff device? So you engineer out of it all the elements of exposure that you possibly can. Yeah. And eventually a human has to put their hands on it. Mm -hmm. Especially it goes true for a rocket ship, right? You engineer <laughs> as best you can and then eventually you gotta put a human being on the top of yeah. it and, yeah. and then see what happens. Yeah. Uh, well, once all the mechanical devices have been engineered to their maximum safety capacity and you put a human on it, what's that human gonna do? How have we trained and prepared that person, right? So, and, and with, the, with the admin of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, that brings to it. So there's this thing coming wrong, right? But the, at the end of the day, the foundation still is always gonna be about communication. Hmm. And it's amazing how all of those engineered safety devices, many times a, a person that's operating the equipment might feel like, you know what, I could get this done much more efficiently if this guard wasn't in the way or if hmm. it was designed differently. And they'll proactively disable some of those features. So it's also talking and training uh, that person that this here's the reason why these were here. And yes, you're right. It probably might save you 10% of your time because you're having to go around and, and deal with the, the safety piece. But the first accident you have, you've lost all of that productivity and more. Hmm. So laying that on top of understanding and uh, the way a person thinks and reacts to compliance being told what to do knowing how they take in that feedback how they take in that constructive criticism and knowing how to train them 
becomes incredibly important because all the best safety features in the world are not going to stop a person from undoing them if you don't put some skin in the game for them in a way that makes sense to them. How quickly, so when you, you know, get a new client and you, you come into the, to the office place or maybe the Zoom room now, I don't really know. I mean, how, how quickly are, are you guys able to determine, uh, you know, the personalities in the room, so to speak? Is that, is that something that you're going to sit and embed for three weeks and then say, okay, well, I kind of know what, how this person operates. Is it something that people kind of have to self-identify? I mean, how quickly are you able to, to make those determinations? The more you talk, and the and I know what the the way it works with Gallup, and I, I'm sure it works very similar with the the system, the color profile that that Ray is using. We're being trained. We learn about the system every day, and we learn what questions to ask to solicit feedback and answers that help us understand what color group or what strengths a person might have. And of course, you can get some pretty good feedback really quickly. But as time goes, you learn and go a little deeper and tweak those those profiles and observations. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned that sometimes the solution is to rip the technology out. I'd really love to hear an example of what that looks like. You know, a company that you said, you know, no, 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 we got to go back to, you know, carbon copies here. So in the service industry um, and doing repairs where you go into a customer's home, whether it's uh, it might be HVAC, it might be appliances, washer, dryer, that sort of things. Uh, if you've got a, a workforce that is really good at what they do, they, they can tear down a, a washing machine, blindfold it, fix it, put it back together, and, and it's done. If they're spending more time figuring out on an iPad how to put in the customer's name hmm. and look up parts when they know they can just go out on their truck and pull the part, and if they write it down on a piece of paper, we've captured the data we need may not be the most efficient for back office, but it's the most efficient for the operations side. Hmm. So I took away those technology pieces of documentation for a workforce that struggled and just didn't have that innate ability, didn't grow up with it. And we put them back on forms that captured what we need and customer got a copy and the back office got a copy. And it was far more efficient to hire a person in the back office to take that paper and digitize it and put it in a format where we could do reporting and analysis and and all of that than it was to try and force someone to use a tool that they had no reason to use. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Jeff Ressweber of An Extraordinary Mind and Ray Flores of Industrial Safety Solutions. Now, now Ray, I understand that, you know, you kind of had a road to Damascus moment years ago and, and, you know, feel like in a lot of ways where you are in your career was maybe not where you were supposed to be. Why is that? Why, why do you feel like you weren't supposed to be? Well, um, that, that's really it's a powerful question. I, I noticed that I really didn't think I was where I was supposed to be. I think my life just took a different path for a reason that I didn't understand. Uh, I was raised uh, with you know, simple, simple core values by my father, and mother who came to South Louisiana from South Texas back in the 50s and it was you know be a man of your word you know try to do the right thing go early you know stay late uh, simple things like that and I started out my career in a drilling rig and so my dad thought that you know if I had a high school education I could be a, a tool pusher on a drilling rig and 
you know, I, I aspired for more than that, but I had to start somewhere, and that's where I started, and I wound up with a, with a great career in the oil and gas industry. Um, I was one day with my brother coming back through Youngsville, and um, from a trip to the mall, just Christmas holiday, just being joyful, decided to have a random act of kindness. So I saw an old gentleman standing out in the middle of a field uh, next to an old church in Youngsville. I just pulled up and I said, hey, how you doing? He said, well, you had a crutch and farmer's hat and staring at the clouds. I said, what are you doing, man? He said, I just don't know. God told me to come stand out here for some reason. I just don't know why he did, but I'm out here. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's uh, interesting. Well, look, it looked like you could use a little help. So I handed him like 40 bucks, mm -hmm. blew his mind. Um, he told me, and, and I can still see it to this day, he said, you know, oh, you're going to be blessed beyond your wildest imaginations or, or whatever he said. It, it affected me. I'm thinking like, okay, I mean, everybody kind of says that. And mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I felt it was heartfelt. So I have a group of friends in the neighborhood that I live in that for every, every year we get together for, uh, for breakfast. And one guy always asks like a profound question, like, you know, it's something to do with the holidays. And he said, and this, this year he asked, he said, have you ever had a moment where you tithe or gave something and you know, it came back to you mm -hmm. and with some spiritual connectivity? And I went like, yeah, you know, back in 1985, I saw this guy in the field, right? Mm -hmm. And um, gave him 40 bucks and you know, it's, life has been, you know, it's been ups and downs. And, mm -hmm. Lord knows it's been, it's had some downs, but you get through them all, right? And you land somewhere where you're going like, oh, was I really supposed to be here in this place? You know, talking to these people, being asked to do these kinds of interviews? And the answer is no. But if I could attribute it to the one time that I think I made an impact that came back to me was that, that old man, his name was uh, Mr. Johnson. Mm -hmm. And he was actually the pastor of a little, little church that was right next to him that was built in 1917. So they asked me, what happened to the old man? And I, I said, I don't really know. He just kind of went away. And then what happened to that little church? I said, well, it's just right there. So they said, go stalk the church. Go find out what's going on. See if we can help them out. And so I did. And I made friends with the people in this little congregation. And, and the neighbors and everybody have collectively come together with uh, what we, what's referred to as a passion project, mm -hmm. zero, zero, 001, in the love of people group. Mm -hmm. So they said, hey, man, we can help you with your fundraising. We can help you disperse everything. Everything's tax deductible. And so we've been working to support this church with foundational issues, electrical issues, uh, you know, just all kinds of things. And we're going to help to restore it, not, not completely restore it, but just to make sure it has another 20 years of life. So it's been a very rewarding experience. And, you know, with that said, it's, it's I'm understanding now the, the giving back to the community. Uh, it's been a, uh, an extremely enriching experience for myself and all of the volunteers that step up, you know, on a weekly basis to help. Yeah. It's a big deal. And we just see the level of people and what John Williams is doing with that as a... Um, as a, as a launching pad for more passion projects. You know, passion project 002 would be, we don't know what it is, but now we just work in the system and getting people, the community involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that there's a, a workforce development program that he's trying to do. Um, just a lot of things that our organization supports. We support performing arts, Katie Symphony Orchestra, Lafayette Ballet Theater, wow. ACA. Um, that's just our thing, right? Yeah. And so we find ways to give back and love of people through their Blue Monday initiative has allowed us to support aging musicians and things like that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the story. It's a great story. I, I mean, you know, I'm always fascinated how people end up where they are. I mean, we all take circuitous routes to be like, I was, you know, in a touring rock band for like 15 years and then here I am. So, I mean, Jeff, I, I, you kind of have also a, a you know, winding path to how you would, but I mean, how did you get into this business? I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like the sort of thing you just go to college for, right? No, you sure don't. And, and UL finally has a program that can kind of teach you a little bit of what I've uh, done over, over time. Yeah. And I started out when I was nine, and I'm probably 
violating some child labor laws <laughs> by saying this, but my uh, statute of my my, <laughs> my dad owned uh, uh, and still does own a, a, a company. And when I was little in the summers, I just was fascinated. So I would go to the company and uh, hang out with dad and start talking to the the employees. And uh, eventually, they put me to work, whether it was filing something or uh, stapling papers or whatever it happened to be answering the phone well that started a trend every summer I would go and work in that office and I would fill a different position for whoever was going on vacation so I learned all of the back office and when I wanted to make a change to make my life easier in the summer working whether that was writing a program or automating something uh, or more importantly wanting to change the way they did something in the field for the data that came back that we were processing in the back office my dad said you can change whatever you want but you got to go out there with Dalton the foreman of a crew and you got to work with him and if you can do what you're asking them to do while you're working with them then you can make the change and that's where the base process evaluation of technology is not always the answer that's it's, it's always interesting to hear where people get their formative ideas, right? And, and, and it seems like, I, you know, between the two of you, there, there's a sense of real devotion to the idea that, um, you know, companies can do better by, um, you know, kind of thinking harder about how we communicate with each other and, and, and really think about the assets every individual employee and person brings to the table. Um, and, and I think that's a, a really interesting industry and a really interesting way that we, we think about work, right, which is to think about people as, uh, honor them as, you know, ends and of themselves, as they told me in philosophy class, right? <laughs> so, Jeff and Ray, it was great having you both on Out to Lunch. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. My guests on Out to Lunch at Kadiana today have been Jeff Ressweber of An Extraordinary Mind and Ray Flores of Industrial Safety Solutions. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRBS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Jeff and Ray and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from the show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Nathan Davis, and you can find more of his work on Instagram. Uh, Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show is engineered by Kieran McIntosh. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Our researcher is Claire Como. I'm Christian Mader. I'm the editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. And for more local news and commentary, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you here again next time around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 